Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And today we're going to talk about the Grimm brothers and their fairy tales. And we talked a little bit about fairy tales and Bluebeard. I've been reading... The Bloody Chamber by Angela Carter lately, which is really cool modern retellings of fairy tales if you want to pick it up. But we wanted to talk a little bit about fairy tales and folk tales in general. And the difference between them. Folk tales start with an oral tradition and they're written down later. So they're kind of living things. Think about it. If you're telling a story over and over again, it'll change sometimes slightly, sometimes in big ways. You might emphasize a part that you really like a lot, play down another. Um, and, and then the story you tell would be different from the way I would retell it later. Yeah, exactly. And then it would finally be written down and we'd have a folktale. Um, fairy tales contain magic. So you could look at it like a subgenre of folktales or a totally different thing. And if you haven't picked up any fairy tales since your childhood, I highly recommend that you do. I took a children's lit class in college with Dr. Katarzyna Yerzak, and she recommended the classic fairy tales by Iona and Peter Opie, and it's a really fantastic addition. And these tales are very dark. There's frog sex and decapitated heads, so keep that in mind when you start reading. We could talk about fairy tales all day, really, but we won't. So instead, we're going to talk about two of the most famous men behind fairy tales and folk tales, the Brothers Grimm. And the cool thing about them was that they wrote stories down like their neighbors and friends actually told them, mostly without messing too much with them. And the science of folklore began with these two. So we're going to talk about where they came from. Jakob Ludwig Karl Grimm and Wilhelm Karl Grimm were born about a year apart in Hanau, Germany. Jakob, 1785, Wilhelm, 1786. Their parents were Philip Wilhelm Grimm, who was a lawyer, and Dorothea Grimm. And they were a solidly middle-class family, not the kind who's going to have a a scary fairy tale childhood until their father dies. And that was in 1796, and it left them quite poor. And Wilhelm was in bad health his whole life. And now Jakob, at the age of 11, was the man of the family. So poor little guys. They soon went to live with an aunt, and they pretty much do everything together for the rest of their lives. They both went to study law at the University of Marburg, like their dad, but they found a new interest, folk poetry. Yeah, because there they befriend Clemens Brentano, who was a German romantic who had go on to do very unusual works, taking the dictation of a nun who had received the stigmata. And Ockham von Arnhem, who collected folk songs into a book, which later really influenced Mahler. Uh, the Grimm started collecting stories and songs and poems that they hoped would have been in this book. But when they weren't, they just kept doing it on their own. We'll make our own collection. Exactly. But they run into more trouble in 1808 when their mother dies, and Jakob then has five siblings to care for, and money is pretty tight. Uh, he and Wilhelm actually go hungry a lot of the time, sharing a meal a day, something that, I don't know, makes their... It's reminiscent of those fairy tales. All the starving children in their fairy tales, yeah. He holds a lot of jobs to try to make enough money for the family, too. He's a secretary to a war office and a private librarian for the King of Westphalia, um, but yeah, it's just a sort of tough time for the two brothers. 
and they ended up in a library in Kossel and officially gave up on the law to pursue their studies of folklore because they'd finally found their calling. And their famous book, Kinder und Hausmärchen, was published in 1812, the first volume at least, the second part published in 1814. And in that table of contents, we have The Frog King, Rapunzel, Hansel and Gretel, Cinderella, Little Red Riding Hood, Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, and Rumpelstiltskin. So all the familiar characters here. But we should say that these stories weren't new. They weren't making them up or presenting them for the first time. They're versions of stories that were told in many languages and many cultures, just the specific versions they happened to copy down. And this book was for adults and children, not just kids. And it wasn't at all poetic. Again, they wrote down stories the way that people told them. So there were colloquialisms and, you know, it it sounded a little bit more like dialogue. It's casual. Exactly. And they had character and they reflected German settings like big scary forests and German people and German values. And the stories were often very dark and contained a lot of cruelty. Which this... Definitely reminds me of Dwight and his grandmother reading this story about <laughs> what happens to little children who suck on their thumbs. <laughs> Very bad things. But the book became incredibly popular in Germany, not immediately, but a bit later. And once translated in the world, it's in 160 languages now. You've probably seen some version of it. You probably it. have an edition on your shelf. Although it may be a sanitized version. They saw six editions of it just in their lifetime. The final count was something like 200 stories and 10 children's legends. And speaking of those sanitized versions, they later cleaned up a lot of their own tales to make them nicer for kids. Rapunzel, for example, uh, doesn't have premarital sex in the later ones. And no one dances herself to death in hot iron shoes. Um, And I thought that was funny because kids are so often rather ghoulish and not innocent little angels and really enjoy some good and evil tales. Yeah, well, and they take these tales pretty literally as cool magic stuff happening. And if you do go back and read them, you know, as an adult, you can see more of the symbolism that's really behind some of the stories. But it's important to note, too, that their great accomplishment wasn't just transcribing stories. Their book is considered the first scientific collection of folk tales. And the brothers were really interested in language and highly skilled researchers. Because they're lawyers. Exactly. That, that came in to serve them well. They both studied medieval manuscripts and the history of law. And after this, they published a book of German legends and a translation of Irish tales, along with lots of critical essays and interpretations of what folklore meant. These guys are a pretty big deal in the academic world, consequently. Jakob more than Wilhelm. But Jakob has other projects, too, working on philology and linguistics. And if we got too much into some of those subjects, I think most of you would fall Fall asleep asleep during the podcast. At least tune us out. But he writes a giant grammar book. That's a good example of why you might get (laughs) sleepy. And another book on the history of the German language. And there's even a linguistic law named after him. Grimm's Law. If anyone would like to explain it to us more clearly, please email us at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. And he also did a lot on Teutonic mythology. Which makes sense, because that's going to be pretty close to your Germanic folk tales. And as far as their academic careers, they had to leave Kassel in 1829 due to some 
politics of higher academia, and they went to the University of Göttingen instead, but when they protested against some political actions of the King of Hanover, they were let go. So they were men of principle, those Grimm's. But they were in great demand even after they were let go, and they were trying to decide where they would settle, and they chose the University of Berlin as the place to continue their work and their lectures. And they started writing an absolutely enormous German dictionary, the Deutschwörterbuchen. Please excuse me if that's not the correct pronunciation, but it took 100 years to finish, so obviously it <laughs> wasn't them living ageless and writing um, a dictionary. Wouldn't that be a great Grimm's fairy tale, though? It would though? be fantastic. They're like 200 years old working <laughs> on the dictionary. But everything you could ever possibly want to know about any German word ever is in this, and I mean everything. According to Britannica, Jakob only lived to see it get to the letter F, and now it's 32 volumes. And another thing we thought was kind of cool about these two guys is how close they are. They live together and they work together. Jakob even lives with his brother after Wilhelm gets married, uh, all of them getting along pretty well with the kids in the house and... Fairy tales presumably being told. <laughs> Wilhelm's son said about them, the brothers had one house, one library, one purse. And Wilhelm died in Berlin on December 16th, 1859. Jacob died there on September 20th, 1863. And I imagine Jakob was rather lonely without his lifetime companion. In his eulogy, he called Wilhelm the fairy tale brother. So that's the end of our Grimm Brothers podcast, and that brings us to Listener Mail. This is another edition of Real Mail, this time from Sarah in California, and she wrote us to say that she was visiting New York City for the first time and listening to one of Candace and Jane's older podcasts on trading Manhattan for nutmeg and just looking around her and thinking, hmm, how much is this worth? Bunch of nutmeg, I guess. Um, and she mentioned she kept on telling all of her friends this little tidbit. Related to that, we got an email from a listener who asked that if someone sent real mail, did that up their chances of being talked about on listener mail? And we have to say yes. We'll, we'll put your podcast topic a little higher on the list. Plus, we tape it up on the wall. We do. We have a whole little section right now between our between windows. Between our cubes. We sit next to each <laughs> other, so that's where we put all of them. So if you'd like to send us some mail, please do. And you can follow us on Twitter at Mist in History. And we also have a Facebook fan page that we update regularly. And if you'd like to read some more cool history articles, you should come search our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. 